This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, podcast fans? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 129 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by Paul Cellular. Today is Tuesday, June 18th. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so. By the way, I always say that here at the top, but starting today, I have actual added incentive for you to subscribe to this podcast. If you needed any incentive, more on that in just a minute. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to be joined by WKBW TV. Channel 7 in Buffalo, sports reporter, anchor, all-around cool chick, Jenna Caleri. She's going to join me. It's my first time having her on the podcast, and we're going to get to know a lot more about her. We talk about her life and her career to this point. Jenna is Western New York, born and raised, Chicktawaga, actually, and she lived here until I think she was 10 or 11, one of them, before her family Moved out to Michigan. It was a move that left her feeling dragged, pissed off. Hated her parents initially when they moved. She talks about that in detail, but she came to come around and love Michigan. She ended up going to Michigan State for college. She became a Spartan, and she would embark on a career journey. Took her to stops in Maine. Dog sled racing. (laughs) Funny story about that. She went to Columbus, Georgia and worked before ultimately coming full circle back to Buffalo in the summer of 2017, getting her job at Channel 7. We talk about those steps, her feelings about a lot of things, including working on the same team with Joe B and Matt Bovey, her thank you folder that helps her get through some tough times, her love-hate relationship with Twitter, some very candid and honest feelings about living in Buffalo again, and of course, the many lightning round where we learn a bunch of fun facts about her. As usual, it's more of a pull back the curtain type of interview. Gives us a chance to know the real Jenna Caleri and hopefully sports fans will enjoy it as much as I did talking to her, getting to know her myself. So I'm going to have that for you in just a minute. Immediately following that, I got my man, the Moranalytics podcast OG. Tone Pucks is in the house for a Pat with Puck segment. Of course, people who've been Running with this podcast, who've been down with it since day one, no tone pucks. And our Pat with Puck segment was part of this show literally since that very first episode of this podcast aired well over a year ago. Tone used to be on weekly, but life of things happen. And it's pretty rare these days that we get to hook up. 
which to be honest with you, I kind of like because when we do, it makes me look forward to doing the segment now more than ever. So today we're talking about a fantastic NBA Finals last week. Our thoughts on that big Anthony Davis to the Lakers trade over the weekend. Before we shift gears to Ryan O'Reilly and thoughts of him getting dumped, exiled by the Buffalo Sabres last summer and ended up with St. Louis, not only winning the Stanley Cup one season later, but of course, because it's Buffalo, he wins the Conn Smythe Trophy winner, playoff MVP. Ultimately, it segues into us coming up with a Mount Rushmore of all-time bad Buffalo sports personnel decisions, which was not very fun to do, to be honest with you, not fun to relive that. All that and more coming up. Before that, though, I said right at the top, there was added incentive to subscribe to this podcast. I got a prize pack giveaway contest going on right now. Just started it. You can win three really cool Buffalo-themed t-shirts. Doesn't matter if you live in Buffalo or if you live in China. They're really cool shirts. They're going to look good on you. The contest is being sponsored by our friends over at Identity Inc. Identity Inc. is a Buffalo company that does embroidering, screen printing, all kinds of promotional products. I've used them before personally. My wife and I used them last year to design some cool t-shirts to wear to my son's high school football games last year. Got a logo, their logo on, our name and number on in the back. It was really cool. A bunch of parents saw us in the stands wearing them. They liked them. They ended up ordering some as well. Anyway, they're an excellent local company in Buffalo that does great work. Go check them out at IdentityInc.com. You can follow them on Twitter at IdentityInc716. Again, they're sponsoring the contest for this podcast where three comfortable, very sharp-looking Buffalo Deem t-shirts will go to the winner. If you want in, it's really simple. All you got to do is two things. That's it, just two things. Number one, go to my Twitter page, which is at Pamaran Tweets. And like the prize giveaway tweet that I have up. You can't miss it. It's pinned permanently right at the top of my Twitter page. So again, number one, just go to my Twitter page, like the tweet that's up there. And then the second thing you need to do is subscribe to this podcast, either via Apple Podcast or Google Podcast. And I got links in that tweet to both. If you happen to already be subscribed, I'll tell you what, unsubscribe. and. Then subscribe again. Simple as that, Jack. Got nothing to lose. Nothing. It's a win-win for you. First of all, you're going to be subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, and you're going to receive new episodes on Tuesday and Friday, literally seconds after the release. You're going to get them before anyone else does. And secondly, you got a free shot to win some really, really cool gear valued at well over $75. Again, courtesy of Identity Inc., So go ahead and do that. And in the meantime, let's dig into today's show. It's a meaty one. Lots of stuff being covered today. First up, here's my interview with the lovely, friendly, very talented Jenna Caleri of Channel 7, followed immediately by an increasingly rare segment of Pat with Pucks. All right, my guest today was born and raised in Western New York, moved to Michigan when she got a little older, and the road has led her back to Western New York, where she's a sports reporter and anchor for WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo. I am talking about Jenna Caleri. What's going on, Jenna? How you doing? Thanks for doing the podcast. 
Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I know you had Mapo Bay on a little bit ago and you had mentioned you were going to call me. So I was really excited to, you know, get the message and be on here. Yeah, Matt's my guy, man. He's been on the show twice. Good friend of mine. Love having him on. And he's had a lot of good things to say about you. And I have not. This is actually our first time ever talking. So I wanted to get to know you a little better. And more importantly, for our listeners, give them an opportunity to know more about you besides just the really good work that you do on the air for Channel 7. So I kind of want to keep the same format that I usually do. I want to go back to the like the very beginning here, okay? Now, you were born in Cheektowaga. You were raised there through grade school. I don't want to go jumping ahead right away. So let's start there. What was it like for you growing up in Cheektowaga? What were some of the things you remember doing as a kid? Were you always a sports fan or did that kind of come to you later on as you got older? Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, my parents were both born and raised here. They had never lived anywhere else in their lives. I think my mom was actually born in Nevada, but she moved here when she was like maybe one or two years old. Yeah. Born in Chictawaga. Believe it or not, my dad um, got me into sports at a very, very, very young age. We actually have a home video. I tweeted out a picture actually um, when I first moved to Buffalo of me reading the Buffalo News Sports section as I think I was not even a year old. Um, you know, kind of on the floor. He was a huge Buffalo Bills fan, huge Buffalo Sabres fan, and he never had any sons. It was just my sister and I. So he kind of made us go to all of the sporting events with him, <laughs> yeah. you know, watch football on Sundays. Born, like you said, you know, born and raised in Chictawaga, um, went to Union East Elementary. Unfortunately, because we moved away when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I honestly don't have a lot of memories that I remember specifically. I mean, a lot of them come from home movies, but I do remember my time in elementary school, specifically um, field days at Union East. I I think other schools do them around here. I can remember, you know, every single teacher I had at Union East Elementary. You know, I remember we used to live right by Stigelmeyer Park. Um, I was involved in Airlines Junior Football Cheerleading. Okay. Um, did, you know, did that right across the way. You know, I still to this day have friends from grade school, elementary school who still live in Buffalo. And I've actually, you know, been able to meet up with one of them, you know, kind of reminisce about our good old days. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, we were a very active family. We were always, especially during the summer, either going to, you know, the, the community pool or, you know, out doing something. Um, you know, back in the day, we didn't really have technology. So, you know, my sister and I were always running around the uh, Lawson, Whitney Towers neighborhood, you know, whether it be riding bikes, exploring, you know, an open land, playing hide and go seek, you know, stuff like that. Where exactly in Michigan did your family move to? Yeah. So, you know, it, it was one of those things where my dad, um, you know, his job wasn't very secure and, you know, something was just, we knew something was going to happen. We were either going to move outside of Chictawago or possibly move to another state and an opportunity came up in Michigan. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are from Buffalo too, they'll agree. I mean, none of my family had ever even left the city. Right. Um, you know, my sister and I didn't know that life existed outside of Buffalo, let alone in a, a, a state named Michigan. So we moved to Holland. It's about a six and a half hour drive. You go straight through Canada and it's on the opposite side of the state as Detroit. We're actually closer to Chicago than Detroit, right on Lake Michigan um, and the entire city. I remember when we first moved there, my sister and I looked around and we seriously thought our parents were moving us to Pleasantville. It was. <laughs> I mean, we went to go tour the state during what they call tulip time. It's a kind of a Dutch city. Um, a lot of, you know, people with the last name Van something, a lot of Holland Dutch people from the Netherlands. And people were walking around, you know, in Dutch costumes and one in shoes. And I remember my sister and I looked at each other and was like, like, where did our, is our father moving us? Um, and I mean, 
you know, at first we hated it. You know, yeah, just I was like going to ask you that. Was, who moves? Yeah, was it hard for you to, as a ten-year-old to relocate? You don't know anything else, like you talk about. It was about. really hard. You know, I mean, I, I honestly can't remember how. I know that all I know is that I left after sixth grade. You know, and in Chicktawaga School District, you graduate. Um, you know, after sixth grade and you move to the high school because back right. then Chicktawaga Central, you know, they had the seventh and eighth grade wing, things like that. So I was getting ready to go to the high school building and then we moved. And I think at that age, I mean, my sister was still in elementary school when we moved. But for me, it was really hard because seventh grade, you know, was when you are on sports teams and when, you know, you have friends and things like that. And I hated my parents. I physically was so upset, was so distraught. I hated them for moving me away, but it took about a year. <laughs> and uh, I think it was when we were, when I was a freshman, my sister was in seventh grade that we looked at our parents and, and said, this was the best thing you could have done for us. Yeah. We ended up loving it. And still to this day, my sister and I, you know, I think our family gets a little upset, but we call Michigan home. Um, And so, you know, it's, 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 I think, unfortunately, people, when they think of Michigan, they think of like, you know, the Detroit area. I'm not saying Detroit is horrible. Right. Um, but, you know, where we are, I mean, it's sand. You know, we live on a lake just like Buffalo is on Lake Erie, but it's different over there. We have beaches take up, you know, half our city. We it's such a tourist city. A lot of people go to visit it. You know, there's sand dunes, sand bowls. You know, it's just, you know, it's it's just kind of a different way of life, I think you can say. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, in the end, I, I, I still love it. I still love to go back whenever I can. Was there a specific moment or time that you can remember when you were younger where you first realized that maybe broadcast journalism is something that you wanted to grow up and get into as an adult? Was it really early when you were just a young kid? Was it high school? Was it when you went to college, which we're going to talk about college in a few minutes here? When is it? Do you remember specifically where you said, I could see myself wanting to do this someday and make it a living doing it? Yeah. So, you know, actually, my the high school that I attended over in Michigan, it was called West Ottawa High School. And, um, you know, just so people understand, too, the high school I went, you know, Chicktawaga Central, I maybe would have graduated with, you know, maybe 150, 160 kids. I was one of nearly 800 kids in my graduating class. Humongous school, wow. humongous school district. And they offered a lot of electives. And one of the electives starting in eighth grade was broadcast journalism. And we actually were in charge of doing not only stories, but doing the morning announcements. And, you know, it wasn't just, you know, announcements. It was a, a full 10 minute show with news and stories and things like that. And so I started then I, you know, did it more as an elective. It wasn't anything where I really wanted to become, but it was probably um, believe it or not, I think it was my senior year, of, either my junior or senior year of high school. I was a competitive cheerleader all throughout high school. And part of that was doing, you know, football sideline cheerleading just as kind of, you know, a, a, a getting ready for the competitive season. And I strictly remember, you know, being on the track and our high school football team was very good at the time. So we always had cameras at our games every single week. And I remember getting close to one of the videographers. He was from one of the local stations, loved always, you know, asking us, you know, putting us on camera. And, you know, he was there during halftime once. And I went up to him, you know, just kind of, you know, chit chatted and asked, really asked him kind of what his job was and if he liked it. And I, I think that was maybe when I started to gear more toward possibly doing sports journalism. I wasn't set yet. But I think that was the first time I actually had an interest in doing something just because the entire game, you know, I watched him and, you know, run up and down the field and seemed to be enjoying himself. And I think part of me was like, OK, like I, I've done these classes before. Maybe I can do something in sports. 
you decide on Michigan State University for college. Why did you go to Michigan State? And were there other schools that you wanted to go to or schools that you consider going to? Or was it Michigan State 100% all the way for you? Yeah, you know, in Michigan, you're either a Michigan Wolverine or a Michigan State Spartan. Yeah. And I chose the Spartans because Good choice. The, the only reason was because, you know, to be a Spartan fan was my dad, when, you know, first got his job, um, one of their clients had free tickets to a Michigan State game. And my dad's like, you know what, I'm going to take my daughter. You know, she, you know, is having a hard time. You know, let, let's get her out. And so from then on, just because I went to that school, I was going to be at State Fam. Well, when it came time to choosing a college, um, I actually thought I was going to be going to Indiana University. Oh, really? um, and that was like my number one school to go to Indiana because um, I knew I wanted to either do journalism, you know, or something with business. And it <laughs> this is, you know, such a high school girl thing to say. The I wouldn't say the only reason because I did go to Michigan State's campus. I loved the tour. I mean, the campus is absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, not to mention at that time they had a fantastic basketball team. But I went there because my high school boyfriend at the time went there and was going or not went there, but was going to go there. And so, you know, typical high school girl, you know, decided to go to Michigan State as well. And that relationship definitely did not work out. But (laughs) I, you know, I I did go there. And to this day, I don't regret it. Um, You know, I, I, I loved my time there. I, you know, was really lucky. Our basketball team was extremely good when I was over there. Our football team, not so much. But it was, I mean, it, it, it was a great place to go. I mean, the journalism professors I had, the journalism classes I took, and, you know, Michigan State is really the place that kind of, you know, pushed me to go into sports journalism. And I I, I, I love that school. I haven't been back, unfortunately, in a really long time, but I uh, I, I love Michigan State. I love Weren't, being weren't a you there? You were there. You were still there in 2009, correct? Were you still there? Yeah, in that was my senior year. So Michigan State was in the fight when they lost to North Carolina. Yep, yep. I remember yep. that. I remember that. Yeah, we were. I, I certainly remember we were at a bar, and we were down to nothing. We hit a three to go up three to two, and that I think that was our only lead of the game. After that, it was kind of like oh, okay, this was fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What did you do at Michigan State that would ultimately help you prepare? to launch your career? Was there a college radio station you were involved with, TV station, stuff like that? What did you do there? Yeah, so at Michigan State, um, you know, you have to take a radio class. You, know, you have to do a print class and a TV class. And part of the TV kind of portion of it, as a senior, you could be a part of Focal Point, which is a student-run newscast mm-hmm. run by a former chief photographer for one of the Grand Rapids stations. And you know, that's, that class definitely helped me prepare. Um, you know, we were in charge of, you know, finding stories and turning them and, you know, kind of doing newscasts. Um, I also had two internships, you know, one with a local TV station in Grand Rapids, one with a station in Lansing. I, I, I not definitely not my second one, but my first one kind of encouraged me to go into the sports broadcasting world as well. But really, you know, it's not like a program that like Syracuse has, you know, or I say Georgia because, you know, their journalism program, the Grady College is incredible. Right. Um, You know, but I think it was more of one of those colleges that, you know, got you the start. They were extremely real with you, told you that you'd most likely start, you know, in Nebraska or Montana, you know, and kind of work your way up. And, you know, they did enough to get a reel out, you know, for you and help you. And the professors stayed in touch with us, you know, after graduation and, you know, put their word, you know, their mouth out, you know, to in, in you know, for you and, uh, you know, helped you along the way. But really, you know, I, I got my first job on my own. 
Um, and you know, from there it's, it, it's the rest is history. Now let's talk about that. After college, your first job, 2011, you were at a station in Maine. You covered the local sports <laughs> scene, including, and I'm reading the bio parts here, dog sled racing. What was that gig like yeah. for you as a job? And what goes into covering dog sled racing? <laughs> yeah. You know, so just like any person, when you graduate, you have to take the, a job that comes to you. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I really wanted to do sports. And, you know, it's hard to break into sports broadcasting. You know, there's a lot of people that want to. And you see that I was actually the only person, you know, in my focal point class. I think actually, you know, one of two people who are still who, are, who got a sports broadcasting job. And so, you know, I was applying, applying, applying and, you know, Presque Isle, Maine, you know, came calling. And in my head, I'm thinking, Maine, oh, that's by the ocean. Presque Isle is about six more no, six hours north of the ocean, and it borders Canada. And when I say it is the most secluded town in the world, it truly looks like the plot of a Stephen King novel. There was maybe three stoplights in the entire city. City was maybe 10,000 people. Um, there was one chain restaurant, and that was Ruby Tuesday. There was one place to go buy clothes, and that was JCPenney. I mean, it was the littlest hodunk town. We only covered 13 high schools in our area, and that spanned two and a half hours, you know, from north to south. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, high school sports is dominant there. You have two colleges, which are, you know, Division three, even lower than Division. I mean, they're just, you know, very small programs. You have your Boston teams, but, you know, you, you don't ever go cover them just because they're so far away. So... It was high school and then other things I covered, you know, we have, um, it's called the Can-Am and actually one of the races I believe is a pre-qualifier for the Iditarod. Um, you know what there, because it's so cold, it's the perfect place to sled dog race. And we covered those races quite a bit, probably one of the coolest sports I've ever covered. Um, you know, kind of really opened my eyes at first, you know, I'm so against, you know, dogs racing, you know, kind of didn't really have a positive impact on it. But once I got to know these mushers and saw firsthand the way that they treat these dogs and the way those dogs love them completely changed my viewing on the sport. You know, I also covered the Scottish Highland Games. <laughs> there was, uh, I think, oh, what was it called? It was this festival over in Perth and over New Brunswick. And uh, they, you know, tossing cabers, you know, straight out of a movie, um, you know, covered that, you know, covered soapbox derby races. I, I tell everyone to this day that if you're gonna, you know, if you're a young sports reporter and you want to build a really cool reel that TV stations will remember, you go to a place like that. Yeah, exactly. No, no doubt about it. So you're in Maine for about three and a half years. Then you go down mm -hmm. to Columbus, Georgia. You get a job as a reporter and a weekend anchor at WLTZ doing mainly mm -hmm. SEC sports. How did that, yeah. how did that opportunity come about for you to go down and get a job in Columbus? Yeah. So, you know, once, you know, I mean, I loved where I was and I think part of the reason why I stayed up in Maine so long is just because, you know, the majority of the people I worked with were young, just like me, you know, we were family, believe it or not. One of the people I worked with was actually, she just left. Um, she was a reporter at channel four. You know, we all stayed up there so long because it was comfort. But, you know, for a sports reporter, you want to do something more. You want to do something bigger. So I started looking for jobs. I actually had a couple of opportunities in other markets as well. Um, but Columbus, Georgia was one of the markets that just really stood out for me because any sports reporter dreams of covering the big time. And I don't think you can get really, you know, and maybe Syracuse fans would disagree, but you cannot get bigger than SEC football. Right. And Columbus, Georgia was in the heart of the SEC. We were 
about 30 minutes outside of Auburn. We were actually the Auburn University TV market. And because down there, college football is so big, you have to cover pretty much every school within like a three hour radius. So we were constantly driving three and a half hours to Tuscaloosa, three hours to Athens to cover Georgia. Um, football, college football is a different way of life. And I, I honestly still believe that SEC football fans are the most psychotic and crazy people <laughs> in the world. But at the same time, like I've been up here and I miss it so much. I, I mean, it's just, everyone on the weekends does nothing but watch football. You go to the grocery store on a Saturday morning, every single person is wearing whatever college they support, you know, either a shirt, sweatshirt, jacket, every license plate, nearly every license plate down there has, you know, the, um, you know, Alabama or Auburn or Georgia, you know, Georgia tech, like the little logo on their license plate, they have bumper stickers. I mean, you walk around the grocery store and if someone's wearing an Auburn shirt and you are too, you look at each other and say war Eagle. It's just, it's how things are down there. And, you know, the entire, you know, surrounding cities show up for tailgating because they just want to watch these games. <laughs> um, it was so much fun. It was, it was, it was very overwhelming, you know, because I really didn't know that much about sec football, but because you're covering it so much and talking about it so much, you, you learn quite a bit in a very short amount of time and you find yourself watching every single game on the weekend because it's just what people do down there. I am with, Jenna Caleri. Jenna, so in August of 2017, your life kind of comes full circle. You're born in Chicktawaga, raised in Western New York, leave when you're 10, become an adult, start your career, and ultimately you come back to Buffalo. You get a job at Channel 7. How did that process play out for you coming back to the Buffalo market? And was it an easy or difficult decision for you to take this job? You know, it's funny because to this day, I do not remember applying for this job. <laughs> I I really think I, I personally, cause I even have like a spread, like I don't, you know, look at it really now, but I remember when I first got this call for an interview, I looked at my Excel spreadsheet because that's kind of the best way. Like when you're applying for jobs to kind of keep track of, you know, where you applied for what position, things like that. I didn't have Buffalo on my spreadsheet, but I did have a script station in Cincinnati on my list. And I'm like, okay, either I applied for the wrong job or maybe, you know, like the recruiter, you know, like I was in the system and I, I, I really, to this day, don't really have an answer, but yeah, I got a call from a scripts recruiter, you know, asking me if I was interested in, you know, reporting job in Buffalo. And I kind of laughed on the phone because I had always been that person that told my parents I will never go live in Buffalo again. I just had no desire to come back here. And it wasn't because I didn't like Buffalo. It's just because that was my past. Right. And, you know, I, I you know took the interview and, you know, did a phone interview. Then I did a Skype interview and then they called and wanted me to come up and, you know, came back up here. I did not tell one family member because we just didn't even want to excite them or, you know, cause it, you know, I was still interviewing. It wasn't, you know, a done deal. Right. But, you know, when they did call and offer me the job, it was just one of those things where I was like, you know what, like I need to move on. You know, I, I loved what I covered down South, but the station was just kind of heading in the wrong direction. It just wasn't going to be a good fit for me to stay there. And this offered me a, a chance to kind of cover professional sports for a little bit. So, and, you know, combined, you know, I have grandparents, they're getting older. Um, you know, I hadn't really seen a lot of my cousins and really haven't gotten to know a lot of their kids in a while. 
So to me, it's, you know, closer to parents, closer to family. It was just kind of a no brainer just to come up here. It was difficult making that decision because again, I, it wasn't like Buffalo was at the top of my list. Again, I'm happy to be here, but it was almost an internal struggle because I kept having to ask myself, is this what I want? Or is this what my parents and family would want? And it was, you know, I I still, you know, I I would say probably my first few months, I I was still really struggling with that decision if I made the right decision coming up here, you know, because it it is hard to come back, you know, to the place you were born because things change. And, you know, I'm I'm a completely different person. You know, my family to this day, you know, they bring up memories and they say things and I'm like, yeah, I'm not that person anymore. And I think it's 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 hard to adjust because, you know, I'm not the same 10 year old girl, you know, with the same interests and the same, you know, kind of mentality. But, you know, I, I am happy to be here just, you know, for the sole purpose of, you know, getting to cover, you know, the teams I grew up watching, being closer to my family, both my parents in Michigan and, you know, my extended family here. Um, But just, you know, kind of taking on a new adventure and doing something, you know, that I wanted to do. And that's to cover, you know, the professional sports and, you know, kind of expand my horizons a little bit. Much respect, man. That's a very honest answer. I I wasn't expecting all that, but I I like that a lot. (laughs) That's a great answer. I like that a lot. Much respect for that. Now you work. We talked about Matt Bovey. That's my guy, man. And Joe B. (laughs) Well, Joe B. At least for right now. I mean, everybody knows what's going on with that. We're not going to talk about that, but everybody already knows that. (laughs) They're two guys that I consider friends and both, like I said, have been on this podcast before. I love those two. I mean, I, you know, this is my third job and I can honestly say, you know, my first job, I loved my sports director, but he, you know, there was probably a 40 year difference between us. He was much older. And, you know, again, things were just different. Right. My last job, I pretty much ran the sports department by myself. I didn't really have anyone to look up to. So this job honestly has just been a blessing in its own way, just because of those two. I mean, you know, you start off with Joe and, you know, even though this was his first TV on air job, the experience and the knowledge that that guy has, not just about the bills and football, but just about everything in general and his common sense and just his, you know, just the way he does things is just something that you can learn, you know, regardless of how many years of experience you have. Right. He has a different way of thinking. He has a different way of doing things. He does things different than the other sports guys. Yes. Yep. And that's good. And, you know, but Matt, Matt and I have a very, very good, you know, not just, you know, work relationship, but we're really good friends outside of work. You know, I'm good friends with his fiance. And, you know, I just as more for him is, you know, he's just not only taught me how to be, you know, a good person, a good reporter, you know, have good relationships. But, you know, the knowledge he brings too, as far as, you know, because he he's a Buffalo guy. He knows Buffalo sports. He, you know, has his own way of thinking as well. And I mean, the knowledge that those two guys have and just the passion that they have for covering Buffalo sports and, you know, just their kindness and, you know, their way of thinking, it's, it, it's, it's uncomparable. And I hate to think that I'm not going to work, you know, with those two forever <laughs> because, I truly, yeah. I, I enjoy coming to work because I get to work with those two. Man, I mean, I I love those guys. <laughs> There's really it, not much more. It I makes can a say. lot of difference. It makes all the difference in the world when you work with people that you respect and you like. It does. It makes a big difference. It let, does. Let me ask you this question, okay? I'm confident, generally speaking, at, at least, that you get treated fairly. But I'm sure along the way, and even today, you have some difficulties working in a sports industry that traditionally anyway has always been dominated by males. Does it ever feel Mm -hmm. to you personally or just women in general, unfairly, I might add, that you have more to prove than men in the journalism industry, especially when it comes 
to the more high profile jobs like being on the air and doing sports. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, I'm lucky enough to where I've never had anyone, you know, say, you know, something based on my gender. Unfortunately, though, I kind of feel like women get judged more, especially on social media, by the way they look and sound. I've gotten sure. more comments from people about my weight, about how I look, and that bothers me more. I can take people saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, or oh, you're not as good because you're a girl, like, as knowledge-wise. But what really bothers me in this day and age is just the way people think that they can talk to women, um, yeah. you know, as far, like I said, based on their physical appearance. And, you know, as someone who has, you know, been the brunt of jokes like that, or not, I shouldn't say jokes, but comments like that, um, you know, I think that's the more difficult thing because at the end of the day, we're human. I think that's one of the biggest problems with social media is honestly, people, you know, just think that they can say things and they don't really think how it's affecting someone, you know, and I, I take more offense, I think, like I said, to stuff like that. I mean, again, I've never had anyone tell me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because you're a girl. Um, it's more of, you know, people commenting, you know, uh, unnecessary comments, you know, as far as appearance goes. Um, and I think, you know, that happens everywhere. You know, I see other women get criticized for, you know, either something they wear or how they look in something and, you know, whether it be good or bad, you know, a guy hitting on them or a guy, you know, saying something derogatory, even, even women do it, you know, too. And that's just what even kills me even more. Um, you know, I think women have it harder just in that sense is, you know, I think we are more easily scrutinized and it's just because that's just how, you know, this, unfortunately this country is. Sure. And you completely segued into what I was going to ask you next. And that's this. How do you feel about social media and particularly Twitter? Because it's such a double-edged sword. On one hand, it could be such a great tool, especially for a professional who's in the line of work like yourself. Your stories, they get out there quick. You got something to say. It's instant news. So that is great. It's also a good way to interact with some fans. But on the flip side, the dark side it's also an open invitation for trolls, people who got no life, nothing better to do with their life other than say nasty, mean things to people for no real reason. Sometimes literally for no reason, or maybe because they don't agree with the message that you're putting out there or whatever have you. And they get deeply nasty and very personal. And it's easy to do because they're hiding behind a keyboard. Literally trolls is what I'm talking about here. How difficult is it for you to balance that line between the good and the bad of Twitter. What's your general opinions on Twitter? Yeah, I can tell you right now, I have a lot of people that are muted. Sure. <laughs> and it's whether they're just annoying. They, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Anyone that's ever said a comment about my weight, my appearance, something like that, I mute them right away so I don't have to deal with them anymore. Right. Um, but, you know, like I said, social media, I mean, especially for sports, you need social media. You know, Twitter, Facebook, unfortunately, that's how – things get out nowadays. You know, you find out someone is hurt, you know, you know, back in the day, you know, you would find out if someone was hurt on the local news. Now you, you learn it on social media right away. Um, you know, but that's the bad thing is, you know, as far as, you know, personal comments and things like that go, you know, there are the people out there who are too scared to say something in person. So they take out a keyboard and they tweet you because and it's easy. Like, it's easy to it, do that. Easy. Yeah. And like you said, you know, they can hide behind their name and, you know, like you said, they do it to rile you up. And not only that, but they just want attention. You know, they want that one like, that one comment. The majority of the people who respond to you maybe have 10 followers. Yeah. And it's just because they have nothing better to do. And part of me just wants to, like, look at some people and be like, if you had a daughter or, 
you know, someone at home, you know, how would you feel if someone was attacking you like this? And, you know, I, again, people are entitled to their own opinions. If a guy doesn't like, you know, what Beauvais, Joe, or I say, you know, whether it be so, you know, our opinion or something we put out there, you know, I, I still get people to this day. Like if I, you know, put out a story, there's always, you know, one comment every now and then that says, don't care. You know, it's just half the time I find it unnecessary, but you have to learn how to block that stuff. And, you know, that's the thing I struggle with is because, you know, that one negative comment can really kill your, you know, your ego. And, you know, not saying I have an ego, but, you know, kind of kill your spirit. But it's a reason why, you know, and I encourage all young girl journalists to do this. I have a folder in my email with emails or messages, you know, on our Facebook page or something like that. I call it the thank you folder and it's people telling me I did a good job on something or people thanking me for something. And, you know, for every negative comment I get, I know that there's a hundred you know, people out there who are appreciative or like, you know, something. And so I always kind of go to that folder, um, you know, and read those emails sometimes if I'm down or I get a negative comment. It's really hard. I think it's the biggest struggle that female journalists and even other journalists have. You know, you, you see Matt or Joe, you know, tweet out something and there's always someone, you know, who disagrees or calls them, you know, dumb or things like that. Right. And, you know, it's just I don't think people understand, you know, we, we're paid to give our opinions. You know, we're paid to you know, express our opinions and they say things. And, you know, people, unfortunately, there's always going to be people who disagree with you, but you have to learn to block them out. And because at the end of the day, their comments really don't matter. I really like that. Thank you folder idea. That's smart. Maybe I just start using that for myself. I kind of like that. It saves me. It does. (laughs) Let me ask you this though. So much about being a sportscaster seems fun to casual sports fans. Being on TV, being able to go to games, getting paid, making a living, talking to athletes, stuff like that. That's all the fun, the glamour side of being in sports broadcasting. What would you tell people is the biggest downside? If somebody's interested in getting into your field and you say, well, hold on, check yourself for a second. This part of it is not cool. What's the least fun part of the job? Yeah, you know, I mean, to this day, I'm just appalled that some college kids just don't understand this, you know, who want to go into journalism. But it's, especially in sports, I would say the biggest downfall is the scheduling. You know, I, to this day, what I'm going on year nine and I have never not worked a weekend, you know, it's, it's just how it is. And up until I think it was not last year, but I had one year in Georgia where I got Christmas off. Other than that, I had to spend holidays by myself. It would be FaceTiming my parents Christmas morning to open up presents and This year, you know, I was a little luckier because my parents were able to come to Buffalo for Christmas. But next year, you know, this coming year, I'm most likely flying to Miami, you know, where my sister lives. And it's, you know, it's difficult. It's really hard. And, you know, and especially in sports, it's really hard to have a social life, especially because, you know, a lot of your coworkers are having parties or going out on Friday and Saturday nights. And in sports, you're working until 1130. And half the time, you know, maybe because I'm a little older than some of these, you know, newer kids, but it's really hard to want to go out at 1130 at night when all you want to do is just go home, take off your makeup, you know, get out of your, your on-air clothes. And it's just, the scheduling is just brutal. And, you know, to this day, we always have, you know, new people come in, you know, we have that JCP program and sometimes they just, they look at us, you know, there's people that want to go into sports and then they watch Matt, Joe and I give up weekends, come in, you know, last minute, if something breaking happens, work long hours, you know, work holidays. And they look at us and they say, I I can't believe you do that. And I think that's the hardest thing is people don't understand that we give up a lot, you know, to this day, you know, there's always a parent, high school parent who complains about your coverage. 
whether you don't give their team enough coverage, why you didn't go to, you know, why you didn't go to this event. And what people don't understand is I'm really not supposed to come in on Saturday. I I work usually Saturdays and Sundays by myself um, outside of the football season. And I'm technically not supposed to come into work until three. I work three to 1130, but especially during the basketball season, if UB is playing a noon game on a Saturday, I'm getting up at 10 a.m. and coming into work and then working until 1130 at night. And yeah. so it's just sometimes I just want to look at people and say, you know what? Like I'm giving up my life. I'm giving up my day. I'm working four hours earlier than I'm scheduled. I, so there are days where I don't have time to eat dinner. And I just think people forget sometimes of how much of a sacrifice this job is. And everything we do is to try and create the best coverage possible. And I think people sometimes forget, you know, that we're humans, too. We have lives, too. Um, you know, and we're giving up a lot, you know, doing this job. And I think that's the hardest thing about this job is just the sacrifices, you know, that we have to make as far as, you know, family. I've, I've missed friends' weddings, um, you know, because I haven't been able to get off. It's, it's, it's difficult. It really is. Because of sports, because of how busy you are, how much time you put into it, do you ever get tired when you're not on the air or when you're not working? Because it's just more than you being on the air for 10 minutes. It's an eight, nine hour per day shift, sometimes a lot more like you just talked about. Because of that, when you're not on the job, do you ever get annoyed when you're hanging out with your buddies or you're going to a bar to meet up with some people, going to the movies, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter, dinner, anything. And people just want to talk about sports all the time. You know, Jenna Cleary, sportscaster. So they want to talk sports all the time. Does it ever get under your, I don't want to say makes you mad, but does it ever annoy you at least a little bit that, listen, man, I just, I was just on the job for 10, 11 hours. I I just had to do a sportscast. I had to report from a game and I'm just, I'm tired and I don't really want to talk about sports. Let's talk about TV shows or or whatever. Does it ever get, you know what I'm saying? Does it ever get a little bit annoying? It is, you know, and it's not really, you know, friends, I feel like it's not as much. But like my family, I love my family. Don't get me wrong. I love my aunts and uncles. I love my cousins. Every single freaking family function, all they want to talk about is the news. They want to talk about this person that they don't like watching. They want to talk about how this person, you know, is better than this person. What, you know, it, it drives me absolutely insane because I feel like, you know, those like family parties and events, they're a way to escape the job. But no matter what, you're always stuck working about your job. And I'm the kind of person I will watch sports when I want to watch sports. I will watch a football game, especially during college football season. I have football on all day. But like after work, I don't go home and watch SportsCenter. I go home and watch like Double Shot at Love with Vinny and Pauly D or Keeping Up with the Kardashians (laughs) or Golden Girls. Like I need a break from my job because if I like – you don't want to bring work home. And unfortunately watching sports all the time to me is bringing work home. And I, I need that escape. I mean, I, I, I physically, if I had to watch sports 24 seven, and I know people would agree with me and they're going to criticize me for saying this, but like, I truly don't think I could do what I do or I would love it as much because I do need that break. I do need that, you know, and I love my family, like I said, but sometimes I just want to look at them and just be like, okay, we're not talking anything TV or sports related. And you know, I understand that, you know, especially family, they want to do it because they're proud of you, you know, and they want to talk about your job and you know, they're excited for me to be back here. But sometimes I truly just want to rip all of my hair out because it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard. It really is, you know, just kind of like if you were a lawyer, you know, and all people want to talk about was their, you know, your case or like, oh, like, you know, ask them, you know, advice. It's just, 
you need that escape. But unfortunately with this business, <laughs> that's all people want to talk about. I, I completely agree with you hundred percent. Last question here. Then we're going to wrap with the mini lightning round. We've spent some time now talking about the pitfalls of your job and how it could get annoying where sports is the focus of your life 24 seven, but there's a plus side to it too. Plus covering sports mm-hmm. and generally speaking anyway, it's fun. And I'm sure that you enjoy taking on almost any task that you get covering any sport including dog sled racing, which we talked about earlier. <laughs> but if all things were even, okay, and you could be out covering any sport you wanted, like say tomorrow you're going to cover a game, any sport that you wanted, it's your choice. What would you prefer? What's your first choice if you could cover any sport? I mean, off the top of my head, big-time college basketball. And I'm not saying that UB is not big-time. I, I, We went to Tulsa. We loved covering UB. Right. But if I could choose, like, for example, I want to go cover a Duke-UNC game at Duke. I want to cover those rivalry games. Like, I was able to cover the Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama. Those are the kind of sports I love to cover. And, mm-hmm. yes, I'm in a professional market. I love covering college sports. There's yeah. something about college sports that I miss so much. And again, I, I get to cover UB football and basketball, and I'm extremely thankful for, you know, UB, Buff State, you know, Medi- like all those colleges here. But I would cover, I mean, I, I have the College World Series on in the sports corner right now because, you know, I'm watching Auburn baseball playing it. I, I love college sports. I would do anything college big time. Um, you know, if I could tomorrow, I, you know, I've done dog sleds, you know, sled dog racing and all of those, but the, the college sports scene, especially football and basketball, um, you know, those are my favorite sports to cover. Good stuff. All right. So we're going to end like I do with every guest with a little mini lighting round. Just going to ask you a, a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required, whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's going to be your answer. All right. You good with that? You ready to roll? Yes. All right. <laughs> favorite all-time athlete. Probably Carrie Strug. Who's the most entertaining Buffalo sports media member that you know? Doesn't have to be somebody that you work with at Channel 7. Okay, I'm going to say um, <laughs> McCoy. He's a photographer over at the Buffalo Sports News. I love covering games with him. He always has some story or comment that makes me chuckle really hard. If people were to ever see us standing next to each other at a game, I'm probably laughing. (laughs) Okay. What's a nice (laughs) relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself? Reading. Huge reader. Okay. Favorite city that you visited? In the U.S.? Yeah. Or anywhere, actually anywhere. Your favorite city that you've ever been to? All right. So internationally, definitely, probably... Ooh, any, I, I visited Scotland. I can't remember all the cities I went to, but anywhere in Scotland internationally, okay. um, in the U S I would probably have to say Maui. Maui. Okay. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush? I think it was Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What movie have you rewatched? Probably more than any other movie. Sam Lott. Okay. Name a TV game show that Jenna Caleri could potentially dominate, whether it's a current game show or a past one. Wheel of Fortune. I would win everything. <laughs> I, I love Wheel of Fortune. I'm, I'm really good at it, too, not to toot my own horn. All right. Last couple here. You're on stage at karaoke, right? And in this world, you're an awesome singer. You're the best singer in the bar. Everybody is chanting your name. They want to hear you sing. You grab the mic. What song 
are you rocking out to that's guaranteed to get the crowd going on their feet, singing along to you? In your dream world here, what's your signature karaoke song? We will rock you. Okay, good one. If we've spent this entire interview talking about sports journalism, if you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity, or let's just say that you went to Michigan State and you gave it a shot, you gave it a go, and it didn't work out for you, what do you think you would have went on to do with your life? Crime scene investigator. Really? Yep. I still, to this day, kind of wish I would have gone that route. I love all of those CSI shows, and I'm fascinated with, like, murder mysteries and whodunits and analyzing things. So definitely the crime scene investigator route for sure. Okay, cool. Second last question here. We talked about Twitter earlier. If you could only follow one person on Twitter, if Twitter were to send you a a DM and say, each person is only allowed to follow one person for now on Twitter, you got to lose all the people that you follow, except for one person or one handle, who would be that one thing on Twitter you would follow? Probably someone like Ellen DeGeneres, you know, not only tweets out, you know, kind of uplifting quotes of the day, but just funny content. I need comedy, you know, on my timeline and probably, probably her or her show, you know, handle. All right. That's cool. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, anytime, past, present. Who would you have? Three people at your dinner table, some food, maybe a drink or two. Who you got? All right. So probably Oprah, because I, who doesn't love Oprah? Who doesn't want Oprah at their table? Um, You know, kind of going along to the questions of my favorite athlete, Carrie Strug. Um, You know, she, I kind of credit her as one of the athletes who really got me into my first, you know, sport that I love to watch and cover, which is gymnastics. And then strictly Frank Sinatra, just for the music. Nice. I like that. (laughs) All right, everyone give Jenna a follow on Twitter at Jenna Caleri. And of course, Check out our work at WKBW-TV. Thanks, man. This was fun. I'm glad I got a chance to get to know you a little bit better, and I'm sure a lot of fans out there did as well. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) That interview was brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with very straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS that is often associated with other cell phone services. Pulse has you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text with premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage, no additional costs in all 50 states. The Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling United States lines. Here's the best part. There are no credit checks. So if you don't have the best credit, you're not going to get shut out like you will at other places. There's no contracts if you don't want to do anything long term. There are no overage costs. Like I said, None of that BS at all. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Find out for yourself. Read everything that's on there. Find out life is better with Pulse. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop, I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants. 
Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, I'm here with Tone Pucks for an increasingly rare edition of Hat with Pucks. Like I said, increasingly rare. And I'm going to skip the pleasantries here because, frankly, I really don't think that people care what you've been up to. They are here exclusively for our scintillating sports talk. You hear me? I, I do hear you, but can I can I just say that I'm, it's good to know that you're still capable of mailing it in from time to time, right? <laughs> you know, which is basically what these pat with pucks have become. And, and I appreciate that because honestly, that's the pat that I know. That's the pat that I grew up, uh, you know, good friends with and stuff like that. The one who is never afraid to mail it in. So <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> All right. I will get started. And I actually want to start at the top here with some NBA talk. All right. Because what an incredible NBA finals that we just had. Incredible in a lot of ways. And right off the top here, I want to wish congratulations, give props to the Toronto Raptors. I'm not a big fan of theirs at all, but, and I don't want to intentionally take away from them winning the championship. Definitely very much deserves it. But unfortunately for them and for their fans, I feel like Golden State was the bigger story. Them losing was the bigger story. You had. Down 3-1, Kevin Durant comes back. He tears his Achilles in game five. They still win, and then they get to a game six at Golden State. And late in the third quarter, Klay Thompson tears his ACL as he goes up for a dunk, and he's hit inadvertently. It was definitely an accident, but Danny Green ends up bumping him, and he falls awkwardly and and tears his ACL. I want to go there, kind of piggyback off this with with a few topics. First and foremost, man, do do you fault... Kevin Durant for playing for Golden State, or and do you fault at all Golden State for letting him play? Personally, I don't, and he did have like 13 points in 12 minutes or something like that, but clearly he was at a very huge risk of getting hurt, and sure enough, he did again. What's your take on all that? Well, I don't fault Golden State one bit. I mean, that's just, you know, the doctors say what they say. They give you you know, percentages or, or likelihoods of uh, a, a re-injury or, you know, an injury is, is the cause of, you know, overcompensation for the calf or whatever it may be. And then, you, you know, as long as that's communicated properly to the player, as long as there's nobody in between, you know, the doctors and the player, uh, you know, kind of softening the risks, then I put nothing on the team at all. And I think it was ballsy of Durant. I think Durant's you know, a team first guy. And, you know, it, it wouldn't have bothered me. I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to say that it wouldn't have bothered me had he, you know, made the decision himself. Like if, if, if it had come out that the doctors said, Hey, look, this ultimately is up to Kevin Durant. And KD says, I'm about to be, you know, worth a quarter billion in, in, in a, in a couple months, I'm not doing it. You know, some just like anything, man, like when it was with a college uh, player that sits out a bowl game or something like that. You're going to have some people who support it, some people who don't. I would imagine now. All right. 
the people who support a decision like that by a player to sit out is going to grow based upon what happened to KD. Do you think that if they were up 3-1 to one instead of down 3-1, he plays game five? No. Well, then, if he's healthy enough, shouldn't he play? And it shouldn't matter if he, they're up or down 3-1? to one? It's the end of the season. They're not saving him. I could understand in the Portland series because they still had another series to go after that, but this is the finals. And I feel like if he's healthy enough that the doctors say he's healthy enough, why does it matter if they're up or down three to one? That's a very fair point to make. I just, my feeling all along was that he was going to wait as long as he could. And, you know, the only time he was just going to go when, you know, when their backs were up against the wall. Do you feel like, and I am certainly in no way, shape, or form faulting Kevin Durant for this at all, but do you think that the opportunity, he was, clearly he was bothered by the notion that Golden State was a better team without him. And that was just pure stupidity. But that was a lot of talk, especially after they finished off Houston without him and blew past Portland. It was just an inferior team to Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. How much do you think that talk of this is a better team without Kevin Durant got to him mentally that made him maybe push himself to get ready to play even if he wasn't and the opportunity to again down three one to be the hero to come back and lift his team you know what I'm saying how much do you think that those outside factors had to do with his decision to play when I don't think clearly physically he obviously wasn't ready because he got re-injured I think it was an enormous factor I can't remember where I heard it but I know it was it was somewhere credible where Kendrick Perkins was who's like you know, still very close with uh, with him from their days in OKC, uh, had a conversation with him and told him, you know, you're 60% right now. There's no way you should go. And Durant basically, you know, said that he has to, you know, based upon a lot of the things that you just mentioned. But I'll say this. All right. All those things that you just mentioned, I don't fault the media for. OK, that's not Kevin Durant. That all goes back to the choice that he made to join a super team. All right. That all goes back to putting himself, all right, in the position to, you know, to lose a little bit of uh, of the shine, all right, from, from the choice that he made to go to a team that already had Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, uh, and, and, a, and a few rings. So, you know, that's on him. Whatever pressure came with, you know, playing or not playing in this, you know, in this championship, to me, it it, it all goes back to which the choice that he made to join a team that uh, that was already championship caliber. Otherwise, it would have never been a debate. The only reason it was a debate is because they proved that they had done it once before or, or a couple times before without him. Right. So that's that's what made it a debate. So. You know, that whole thing, that's 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 on him. I know by saying this, I'm taking something away from Toronto, and maybe I shouldn't, but it's just the way I feel. I think that me and you would both agree that had Kevin Durant not got injured and had Klay Thompson not get injured, that Golden State probably ends up winning the series and they're three-time defending NBA champions right now. But forget even just Durant getting hurt. If Klay Thompson doesn't get hurt at the end of the third quarter, in game six in Golden State. Do you think that they end up winning that game six and then going into Toronto and winning game seven as well? I mean, I think if they get if they have two looks at a Golden State team without Kevin Durant, that yes, they get one of the two. You know, whether it would have been in six or or 
or seven, I don't know. But I, I felt like going into this series that people who, who you know, had Golden State is, is still somewhat of a heavy favorite. You know, I mean, like not heavy in terms of like a one versus eight, but, you know, heavy for a championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were really missing the boat, man. I thought these teams evened out quite a bit uh, by the injury to uh, to KD. So, sure, yeah, two cracks at it. Um, you know, without KD and, and, and a healthy clay who I don't even know was really a healthy clay. You know, there were other injuries on that Golden State team. Big injuries, no doubt. And it was more than just Duran and Thompson. Looney was a very big injury. He wasn't close to 100%. Obviously, Boogie Cousins wasn't either. Listen, at the end of the day, we should be praising Toronto. Kawhi Leonard put that team on his back, changed the fortunes of that entire franchise. Many people think that at this point, he's the best player in the NBA right now. Do you think he's the best player in the NBA right now? And if you don't, how would you rank him? Where would you rank him? I don't know the answer to that because, and this is going to (laughs) change this coming year, but there's so many guys that I don't get to see play. All right. I mean, I am strictly, you know, an, an ESPN Sunday night kind of guy. You know, they you force feed me the the Celtics and any team that LeBron's on or whatever. I've never seen Anthony Davis ball out. I, I have no idea. So I don't know where to put Kawhi just in terms of, you know, best individual player in the NBA. But I do know this. All right. He is the most valuable player in the NBA because Toronto doesn't do anything close to what they did without Kawhi. And you could take whatever their record was without him. And, you know, you could throw that out there as a debate to what I just said. But, you know, when it really mattered in in the playoffs and over the the course of, you know, the long haul for the season, he changed the fortune of an entire franchise that couldn't get over the hump. So, I believe he's the most valuable player in the NBA, and there is every reason to put him in the uh, in the debate for best all-around player. You know, with with your LeBrons and and whomever else, who I think is probably not anymore uh, LeBron. I think it's I think it might come down to KD and and Kawhi. Yeah, I I agree with you about Kawhi being the MVP of the league at this point. They win a championship. There's no way Toronto's winning an NBA title without Kawhi. They probably, if he leaves, and I'm not sure if he's going to leave 100%, I still think he's going to end up going to the Clippers in LA, but maybe them getting to the championship and winning the championship might convince him to stay on a short-term deal. I wouldn't be stunned if he ends up signing like a two-year contract or a one-year contract with a player option after that and staying in Toronto short-term, seeing how things play out there. But in terms of best player, I still think LeBron, at least for right now, is the best. I'd probably go LeBron, then Durant, and then Kawhi. In terms of being the best player in the NBA right now. By the way, isn't it crazy? The Toronto Raptors win their first NBA title, and they don't even get to enjoy a full 48 hours of dominating the headlines. The NBA, man, it's really, really becoming a popular sport year-round, kind of like the NFL is. It just, there's no offseason pretty much anymore. There's always news going on. And now it's the Lakers in New Orleans, that big blockbuster deal to go out on Saturday. New Orleans is shipping Anthony Davis off to the Lakers. The Lakers gave up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, three number ones, including the fourth pick in the draft, which rumor is that New Orleans just might flip that for something else before the draft. Anyway, 
good deal, I think, for both teams. For the Lakers, now you got two superstars, and I'm sure they'll go on and do something else, add some supplemental pieces to that team. They're built to win with those two guys right now. Whereas with New Orleans, they got Zion and then a bunch of young guys. Now they're going to have cap room, a bunch of draft picks. That's a good way to start a rebuild. I think it's a good deal for both teams. Good head start for New Orleans, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's two things in play here, though, that that make it difficult for me to really judge what the deal is going to do for either team. I mean, obviously, uh, on the surface, I, I get it. You're putting two of the top players in, in the game on the same team. Uh, and, and you're putting a bunch of young studs and and the number one pick and number four pick, uh, uh, you know, on another team. But here's two things that, you know, are a little bit beneath the surface that I just I'm not that well versed at as I, you know, start to regain some of my NBA fandom here. I have no idea what the Lakers salary cap situation looks like, and I have no idea how the salary cap works in the NBA. Uh, I, I, I hear a little bit uh, of of what they have is enough to go get one, uh, you know, marquee free agent like a Kemba Walker. And then, you know, they backfill it with a bunch of guys that, you know, you hope want to get a championship, you know, and, and still have something left. So I don't know what that's, what that's going to look like, but it would have to really, really suck for them not to be a contender with what they have right now at the top of the roster. And the flip side of that is, Look, I don't. I just don't know much about Lonzo Ball. I, I haven't watched him play that much. You know, he was injured for a good part of the season, and then the Lakers became irrelevant. Ingram seems to fill the stat sheet, but he's got a lot of detractors as well. As far as you know, his his all around play. Yeah. You know, it's it's time time will tell. Um, but it it really does look like a, a win win type of deal. The only loser in this might end up being Anthony Davis in two or three years when LeBron's, you know, skills have, have really begun to erode and he's just sitting there with uh, with potentially a bunch of nobodies and no draft picks. But It's definitely a win-now move for the Lakers. And plus, they're all about star power and Anthony Davis is one of the league's biggest stars and he'll be there hopefully for them long after LeBron fades away and he'll carry the torch so to speak, after that. And it'll be one of the best players in the league right now as well. So definitely a win-now move. Let's switch gears and talk hockey here. Sore subject, the Stanley Cup I'm talking about. For some Buffalo sports fans, at least, I'm sure many took it very personal while at the same token, maybe a smaller percentage or maybe a larger one than I think. Percentage of fans just don't give a shit about last week when St. Louis beat Boston in Game 7 to win the Cup. And then the reality hits that Ryan O'Reilly not only won the Stanley Cup just one season after the Buffalo Sabres literally exiled him out of Buffalo, but he also has to win the Conn Smythe Trophy too. I mean, really, playoff MVP that had to have felt like a huge punch in the stomach to a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans. Where do you fall on that? Because to me, it just feels like the most Buffalo thing ever. Yeah, I think it absolutely sets Botterill up for that to be his legacy here in Buffalo unless he's able to turn this thing around in the next two years. He's going to, you know, he's going to have that stain on him for the in, in, until this team becomes competitive to where people feel like, 
you know, Jack Eichel was supposed to get him. That's what, you know, that's what Botterill's going to have to walk around with. And I hate it because, you know, I just, I hate people that all of a sudden start jumping out of the woodwork talking about they never should have done it. You know, O'Reilly was a good player. Look at the advanced stats, blah, blah, blah. You know, because we've got a lot, a lot of smart armchair GMs, uh, you know, hockey general managers here in Buffalo. They're all over the place. You have several of them on your show as well. You know, where were all these smart people, you know, a year ago when, when it was going down? You know, no one was banging the table saying stupid move, stupid move, stupid move. You know, but now now that's where everybody is. And now Botterill's Botterill's got to eat. Uh, you know, Botterill's got to eat that. I think that I, I can only speak for myself. And I think that the majority of people weren't mad at the trade itself. I remember going back and, and looking at my tweets. It was more about I never cared for the return that they got. I would have liked to have seen more. Tage Thompson was unknown at the time. You know, that was like the the big chip, I guess you should say, coming back to Buffalo. But I think the overall sentiment was get his ass out of here. He doesn't want to be here with in terms of Ryan O'Reilly, but not thrilled with the return. But they got rid of a cancer in the locker room. They got rid of a headache in the locker room. I think that's the overall sentiment a year ago, at least of most fans and the media too, by the way. I had Paul Hamilton on the podcast recently, and he spoke very disparagingly of Ryan O'Reilly as a Buffalo Sabre. Not necessarily as an NHL hockey player, but as a Sabre. So I think the overall sentiment was get the guy out of here. And I kind of was on that train too. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'll, I'll take a hit on that. I wasn't mad when he got traded. I didn't love the return, but I wasn't mad when he got dealt. Man, I I didn't know. I, I might have to go back and listen to uh, listen to Hamilton talk about O'Reilly. Um, Poignant comments too. Not a yeah. fan of his in Buffalo at all. Did not like it. Why can't you just message me that? Why 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 do I got to hear about it like a month later? On, or on you can listen to the podcast, podcast that you're. You know, a part you of. know that's not. So just just tell me what they are. You know, just shoot me a text or something. You text me all day long about other shit. Well, um, go ahead. Like hold on, hold on on this O'Reilly thing. I just I can't let this die. I, I I can't. I'll die on this stump, man. I just don't care. Okay, Ryan O'Reilly was expendable in the eyes of the fan base and and quite frankly, in the eyes of the owners as well, because they just didn't need him because they had Jack Eichel. I'm sorry. All right. If if Ryan O'Reilly is, you know, how do, how do I want to put this? If we don't go through what we went through to get ourselves Jack Eichel, if Jack Eichel was just a second overall pick, all right, in any regular old draft that we sucked the year before, then people are out there and they're looking at O'Reilly and they're saying, hey, man, all right, you know, this is a player that has to, that we've got to make this work, all right, you know, we've got to figure it out, whatever be the case. Not to say that they necessarily had strife like some people had thought and it's since got shot down, but, you know, we just have to make this this work. And I just don't think that we tried hard enough or cared enough, even as fans, all right, to to make O'Reilly work here. And I and I think a large part of that is because we're just so sure that we've got Jack and we can fill in the other parts around him. And that shit was wrong five years ago, and it's wrong still today. Yeah, 
And you know what? I'll also say this. It's one thing, and I've had a rant on this on the podcast recently. It's one thing to be an idiot sports talk show host or a podcaster like myself or just fans in general to like a trade at the time and then bash it a year or so later. That's not our job. It's not our livelihood. You spoke about Jason Bottrell. He's got to be accountable when that happens. You know, if we make a dumb prediction on Twitter and a year later it ends up on freezing cold takes, oh, well, on to the next stupid take. But when you're the GM of a hockey team, you can't make those type of decisions that this set this franchise back a lot. It had to because no matter how you look at it, look what they got back. Berglund quit. Saboka is the team punching bag. Tage Thompson, maybe I'll be wrong about him. I'd like to be wrong about him. I'm not comparing his skill set level to guys like this, but he reminds me a lot of a Justin Bailey or a Baptiste or a Carrier. Guys who we kept thinking were eventually going to come up to the Sabres and contribute and become good, solid players, but they never did. I kind of see Tage Thompson in that same light right now. I don't know how you feel about him. And then a first-round pick that we're going to get at the end of the first round who probably won't pan out to anything. But you gave away a con Smythe winner, and that's your return, man. you, you got to be accountable for that. You have to. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, you know, it's 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 it may be revisionist history here, but... You know, I'm going to point the finger a little bit at Phil Housley as well. Here's here's why. You know, uh, Berglund and Sabaka were brought in, uh, yes, to clear some space, you know, for St. Louis. But they were the placeholders for Middlestat. Okay, that's, you know, that's the one thing that we we needed to do. We needed to get from O'Reilly to Middlestat. And. You know, these are these are two guys that have played a lot of center in the NHL. Uh, they've scored some goals in this league, and they were brought in, you know, to 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 get us to you know uh, to Casey Middlestat's years. And instead, you know, Housley's got Berglund on the fourth line with Gergensons. I mean, it just just total misuse. All right, now I know Berglund quit on. I mean, I I understand all that, and and I. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to take that off of uh, Berglund for, you know, just being soft and a quitter. But, you know, Housley mismanaged so many of the assets, so many of the assets. You know, he used the shit out of Sabaka. He he hung Berglund out to dry. He, you know, he never found, uh, you know, a competent, you know, center for, for those minutes uh, to, to kind of shelter Middlestad a little bit. You know, this was this was an organizational failure, and and Phil Housley was at the center of a lot of it. But it's 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 Botterill's mess now. So, Thank you. You, you just know. said it. It's a great take. Your Housley takes a great take, and I completely agree with you. And the whole thing is, Botterill's the one who made that hire, so that's on him as well. And now, I'll tell you, you, you mentioned what? Am I wrong? You don't think you you don't think you know super fan. Owner Terry signed off over, on it. I think that I think Bottrell you know, made this. You think Pagula's the one who said I want Phil Housley hire him? You don't think Bottrell no. decided on him? I, you know, I, I think he might be able to say, boy, you know, I, you know, former Saber, a lot of goodwill there. You know, he's definitely, you know, seems to be seems to be ready. You know, he can certainly help influence the decision. All right, that's all I'm saying. He can certainly help influence the decision. You said the word revisionist history a couple minutes ago. I kind of want to get into that when it comes to the context of the worst decisions in Buffalo sports history. I wrote up a list and I got eight of them. 
and I'm sure I'm forgetting some and you might have a couple or people I'm sure listening to this will let me know things that I might've forgotten, but I got a list that I compiled of eight of what I think are the worst decisions in Buffalo sports history. And let's see if we can make a little bit, let's see if we can make a Mount Rushmore out of this. All right. And I'm going to run through the eight quickly here. We already talked about Ryan O'Reilly getting traded to the blues. I got the Sabres letting both Chris Drury and Danny Breer walk after the season after winning the president's trophy in 2006, 2007. I got the bills training for Rob Johnson and giving him 25 million and coughing up a first runner to get him. Got the Sabres drafting Rick Sealing one pick ahead of Mike Bossy in 77. Got the Sabres giving Billy Lino $27 million in free agency after scoring 19 goals the season before. Which, by the way, was the only season in his career that he ever had double-digit goals. And he ended up with 10 goals over the course of 137 games with the Sabres. I got Buffalo Bills taking Terrell Troop exactly one pick before Gronk in 2010. I got the Bills trading up for J.P. Lossman in 2004. They moved up to 22 with Dallas, and they gave up a second, a fifth, and a 2005 first-rounder to, to move up for Lossman. And I got the Bills firing Bill Polian, Ralph Wilson firing Bill Polian after the Bills had went to their third straight Super Bowl. So take those, and if you got one on your own, add that to the mix as well. What would be your Mount Rushmore out of terrible, historic, bad Buffalo sports decisions? Well, the one, I don't want to call it a glaring omission, but the one that was, you know, that I saw referenced, you know, with the O'Reilly uh, uh, con Smythe win is the trade of the 10th overall pick that ended up being, you know, Pat Mahomes to uh, the current, the reigning NFL MVP. Yeah, um, I, I didn't agree with that, though. I'm going to be honest. I'm going, yeah, well, here, here, here's here's my thing on that. Now, that's closer to being a legitimate draft mistake, if you want to call it that, than some of the others. But I don't like, um, especially when you're into the second round with 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 someone like Troop. I just I, I I don't hold them super accountable for a, a draft decision like Troop over Gronk or T.J. Graham over Russell Wilson. I mean, you just you got a lot of teams that. Right. Um, you know, that 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 made that pass. But the the decision on Drury and Briere is enormous. All right. That that belongs there. That was a, a franchise changing decision moment, offseason, whatever you want to yep. call it. Yep. The the Billy Lano one was was downright comical how little you got, you know, bang for your buck on that mil- one. Twenty seven million. I mean, million. that one's gonna be some someday, you know, and that day almost seems like it's right now. You know, twenty-seven million is not even going to seem like that much, you know, to make this point anymore. But it was at at the time, a lot. It was it was significant money. You know, he was like, I think he was the second you know, highest paid free agent of that class. I yeah, believe. yeah, yeah. Because we couldn't we couldn't get Richard, and you know. Pagula had money burning all in his pocket. So yes, Lano belongs on any Mount Rushmore of terrible Bills, Bills, Sabres, personnel decisions. What else you have here? We got Rob Johnson. I got Sealing going ahead of Bossy by one pick. Yeah, Johnson, up for was, JP. Johnson, 
Johnson was terrible. I, I hate to put that one on there only because I was all in on Rob Johnson. You know, I was team Johnson. I was Johnson over Flutie all day. <laughs> You know, yeah, but that's I not mean, your right. Like, that is your job, though. That. But that's not your job. You're a fan. You could be wrong. These are decisions that professionals are making that alter franchises. You know what I'm saying? You're right, though. I I kind of was a Team Johnson guy too. I was excited about the trade at the time. No, I I like the list though. I got the only thing. Um, I'm not as quick to point to you know to draft decisions as it relates to the list, but yeah, I, I, I like the list a lot and uh, where this O'Reilly one ultimately falls is, is gonna, you know, it's going to come down to how quick they're able to get, uh, you know, back, back to the playoffs to get people to, you know, to forget about it. But right now this is, this is, this is going to follow Jason Botterill around for a while. I'll tell you what, I agree with a lot of what you said. And for my Mount Rushmore, I won't put any draft mishaps on a list because that is all hindsight after the fact. These guys are college kids or amateurs. You don't know what they were going to be like as pros. So, and I also, by the way, I could have easily added the Bills moving up and taking Sammy Watkins and not the UB guy, Khalil Mack, to that list of candidates that I had. But like I said, I don't like using a draft because you didn't see these guys in a pros. You didn't know what kind of pros they were going to be. To me, the bigger blunder is when you see them as a pro and you make decisions based off that to turn out so horrible. So for me, the Chris Drury, Danny Breer, both of them leaving, that's easy on the Mount Rush. I don't even think we got to discuss that. I would also put Billy Leno up there because they gave him $27 million and I'm sure that prevented them from doing other things that could have helped the roster because they gave a guy a bum. They gave a bum you know, $27 million who would score 10 goals in 137 games. I, like you, was a Rob Johnson fan, but as it turns out, that was just an awful trade. They gave a big contract, and more importantly, they gave up a first-round draft pick to get Rob Johnson, and he turned out to be a disaster for the Bills. Simple as that. And last but not least, I probably would have Bill Polian on there because, listen, that was a personal thing between him and Ralph Wilson. The guy was an executive who was a master of finding undiscovered talent, hitting gems in the draft. He was always drafted late in the first round, way beyond the first round, picking up guys that were just good fits for the team. No reason to let personal things get in the way. So him leaving, I think, kind of contributed to the Bills eventually falling off a cliff a little bit. Not falling off a cliff, but definitely declining. So those would be my four. And by the way, if we were having this conversation at the rate things are going a couple years from now, Jason Bottrell being GM, of the Buffalo Sabres very well may be on the list because at the end of the day, you got a franchise setter in Jack Eichel. You got a generational defenseman in Rasmus Dahlin. You got a 40-goal score in Jeff Skinner. You got some other good young players on this team. And you hired that head coach, and you have made a lot of the decisions. You got rid of O'Reilly. If this team still stinks like they have for the last eight years, if it's still like this in a couple of years, I think Bacho could very easily make this list. Yeah, uh, it's just... These have been absolutely horrible years of of Pagula's ownership of the hockey team, and I, you know, thankfully there's there's some <laughs> there's oh my god, there's some sort of goodwill happening right now with the Bills. I don't know, man. We've we've fallen for the coach and the GM, and and I guess the quarterback too. And we got the monkey off our back with the playoffs and stuff like that. But this. Their their 
tenure right now as as Sabres owners has been nothing short of a disaster. Real quick here, old news, but I want to get your take. The Sabres give Jeff Skinner exactly what he wanted to stay. Eight years, $72 million, $9 million per year. If you're Jason Bottrell or I guess Terry Bagula because you'd be signing off on it, if that decision was yours, are you paying him or are you letting him walk? No, I, I, I think I'm stuck paying it. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm stuck paying it. I, you know, it's an overpayment. It's probably a, I don't know, man, 10, 15 percent, uh, you know, overpayment. Uh, I don't even know that he gets that on the open market. So, you know, I mean, that might be a 10, 15 percent overpayment as it relates to the open market, and maybe even as much as a 25 percent you know, overpayment as it, uh, as it relates to, you know, current, current rights holders, but they got backed into a corner, you know, they're, they're lacking in any sort of goodwill with the fans right now. Uh, this is right in the middle of the, uh, of the O'Reilly, uh, you know, Con Smythe run, <laughs> you know, trying to sell tickets, trying to get season renewals and yep. stuff like that. And they're a mess. They had to. That's a good take, and I completely, 100% agree with you. All right, let's get out of here. Before we do, though, the customary puck drop, which is your final take. We're going to stay with the Sabres on this. What do you got? Well, man, look, you know, the, the offseason is quickly approaching for the Sabres. I'm, I've already had enough of the Jason Zucker love. There's no fucking way people know that Jason Zucker is this good or whatever. Here's my, here's the take though. Okay. There are a lot of smart guys out there who know what to look at. They're very good with the numbers and they, they know how to break down hockey. And this is a market with a lot of hockey fans and a lot of people, you know, that are providing insight into it, but just pump the brakes a little bit when you know, when some of these guys, you know, whether it's Sabres Twitter or whether it's the radio guys or whatever, all right, tell you who we sh- you should be focused on or who you should feel good about them signing or who that you should pass on because, you know, because Jimmy VC all of a sudden, you know, we don't want him. Look, I thought and I think a lot of people thought that Tim Murray had built a future cup winner with the likes of Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly amongst others. And you know what? And it absolutely blew up in our face. The truth is, man, there are a lot of players out there that would be good compliments for this team. And there are some probably being mentioned that wouldn't be a fit. We just don't know. As much as we we look at things, as much as people 10 times smarter than me when it comes to this sport, you know, look at players that that uh, that may be trade bait or whatever and, and think that, you know, that's who we should focus our attention on. They don't do it nearly as much or with uh, as much on the line as you know, the people who do this for a living. This team can be built off of players other than the likes of the ones that you know Sabres Twitter tells you about. So just go into it with an open mind and don't get too high or too low based upon whatever happens in the offseason. Cause I thought we were I thought we were would we'd be lifting cups by now with what Murray did. And I think a lot of people thought that way. That's a good take. Solid. All right, we're out. Anyone you want to give a shout out to? No. 
dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Very big thank you again to Jenna Caleri from Channel 7 in Buffalo. It was fun rapping with her, getting to know her a little bit. Also, thanks to my man, Tone Pucks. Always nice to hook up with him for a little Pabble Puck segment from time to time. Longtime listeners of this podcast who've been down from day one. They know that Tone Pucks was with me right when this podcast first launched well over a year ago. So I always enjoy being able to hook up with him when we both get the chance, which is not very often anymore. Don't forget, by the way, got that giveaway going on over on my Twitter page, courtesy of our friends at Identity Inc. You can win three really cool Buffalo-themed t-shirts, a nice prize pack from Identity Inc. All you got to do is go to my Twitter page, at Pamaran Tweets, like the prize giveaway tweet, it is pinned right at the top of my Twitter page, so you got to like that tweet and then subscribe to this podcast. You could do it either via Apple Podcasts, if you got an Apple or an iPhone, or Google Podcasts, if you got an Android. If you already are subscribed, you can unsubscribe and then go ahead and subscribe again. It's as simple as that. Thank you all again for listening. I appreciate each and every single one of you. I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.